This week on the Sport Blokes. This week, we chat to former NBL and tall black legend Casey Frank. We discuss his career from America to Sweden to New Zealand, an update on the current NZNBL, and explaining the hacker to Demarcus Cousins. He was even in a Bollywood film. It's 7.21 on Wednesday the 17th of May 2023, 11.21 in Auckland, which will become apparent to everyone very soon if they haven't already read the title, which they probably have, so they probably already know. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. If you didn't, good on you though, you daredevil. (laughs) (laughs) Throw caution to the wind, I love that. And look, so much has gone on. It's been a little while since we recorded. Look, for opening tip this week, there's only one thing. The Spurs! Number one pick! Only one thing for me. I know you've got a couple of things. I can only feel like maybe I somehow talked OKC out of getting that pick. So this is all your fault, right, Stuart? (laughs) Well, he said it, didn't he? Actually, the flip side is probably more, I feel like I talked the basketball gods into taking it away from us and giving it to you. Yes, and this is what he said about it too. Victor Wimbanyama is the prospect since LeBron James. I am not kidding. I was at Summer League this year. I have never seen folks drooling over a prospect like this in my life. And well, I'll take that back all the way back to LeBron, all the way back to LeBron. LeBron was the same way, but this is a uniquely gifted. um, He's something we've frankly never seen before. A guy who can move like that, who can handle like that, who can shoot like that, who's in fact evolving the game. He's shooting one-footed threes at, we don't know, maybe seven foot five was the last measurement I saw. This is out of this world. How many picks? Imagine giving up, uh, you know, how many picks was Tim Duncan worth? This is a guy who's an all-timer, right? now. Exactly. To, to, I wouldn't have tried any. Of, yeah. There's no, there's no amount of picks because exactly. there's no player like him. Yeah. I mean, that's the point is you get that sort of player that can be the dominant focus of an error or one of the two or three great players i mean he's you gotta figure that he's worth everything absolutely everything and i'm not you know it's unfair to put all this expectation on Wimbanyama, but i am telling you i see these people in in las vegas and i talk to them i have never seen well particularly up close i mean because i was in a different place in my career with lebron uh, but to be up close with these folks and see the way that they are looking at Victor Wimbanyama, people are losing their minds over this guy. Absolutely losing their minds. Ah, uh, yes, good. We've uh, managed to use one interview with Bo Estes across three different episodes now. Probably more now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, great guest this week. Great interview. Had a lot of fun. We've just wrapped that one. Very generous with his time getting late over there in New Zealand. So real quick opening tip here, but you did have a couple of things and then we'll talk about some NBA at the back end. Opening tip. That's a good one. Well, it makes sense. That's, but like, think about it. We're massive basketball fans and we haven't used that. No, I don't think we have yet, actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but just a couple of real quick ones, as you say. Yashasvi Jaiswal, I believe that's how you pronounce it. Yeah, sounds pretty good to Incredible me. Incredible feat. 13 ball 50 in the IPL. I think he finished up just short of a century in that match. Broke the previous record of 14 balls for the fastest IPL 50, which was held by KL Rahul and Pat Cummins, of all people. Yeah, that was a bit of a surprise. Although my IPL following has dwindled over the years because I'm worried it's going to destroy Test cricket. Mm, There's plenty of other things to watch. Anyway, you've got one other there, which is pretty funny before we go to the Casey Frank interview. This is one of the greatest stats of all time. So I'm not sure if you've heard, Nate, but Dan Snyder is officially selling the Washington Redskins slash football team. Oh, yes, yeah. Slash commanders. Yeah, that's been in the cards for a while, actually. We might have even talked about it. And so basically with them having now their third official name, 
He's actually got more franchise names than playoff wins. Three, <laughs> three to two. Yes. Incredible. Yes, quite incredible. Quite incredible. All right, let's not dwell too much at the top here. We'll have some more NBA at the back end, but we'll, uh, we don't want to bury the lead. So great interview with Casey Frank, bloody legend. We've been meaning to get in touch with him for a while and, well, it didn't disappoint, did it? No, not at all. Absolutely incredible just insight, some you know, some really cool stories, which we always love hearing from these professional athletes. It's lovely to hear, I guess, you know, all the fun stuff they got up to, some different aspects that you don't ordinarily expect to talk about as well. We managed to cover a fair bit in an hour, we didn't did. we? Yeah, we, a we lot did. actually. So this will be split in two parts. One part will be on this episode, and then you can listen to a lot of his draft thoughts on our draft episode. We'll do that again like we did last season. Yeah, so I've got another special guest coming up for that one soon too. I won't mention his name, but very important in the Next Star program. So, But really, really cool to get, I guess, a New Zealand-based yes. appraisal of Ryan Rupert and a couple of the other guys, Uzman Dieng. Uh, Hugo Besson. Hugo yeah, Besson. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, exactly. And again, that's not in this part. That's not in today's, but enjoy today's. Plenty there. A lot of fun. And you'll hear Casey again in a few weeks when we do the draft episode. Well, we're absolutely delighted to have our next guest on, aren't we, Stewie? Absolutely, no. If you have to be frank here, you could make a case this could be our biggest guest yet. Oh, very good. Very good. Yes, that's right. As someone we've really enjoyed watching compete and commentate over the years, he's been on our wish list for quite some time. And even though we stupidly reached out to him during an extremely busy time with the recent start of the New Zealand NBL, he's been nothing but gracious and accommodating. He's a former Northern Arizona Lumberjack who was a two-time first-team All-Big Sky, has played professionally in Europe, and is a man with 122 games of Australian NBL experience with five different teams, as well as a slew of New Zealand NBL achievements, which include being named one of the 40 greatest players of all time, as well as being a four-time NZ NBL champion and a three-time member of the All-Star Five. The list goes on and on. He has 17 games of FIBA international basketball experience, including a silver medal at the Commonwealth Games, and was even a member of Celebrity Treasure Island. More recently, our Aussie listeners might be familiar with the great work he does with Brooke Roscoe on Sky Sports, two of the absolute best commentators that our league has to offer. But our New Zealand listeners will also perhaps be familiar with his work on straight dribble and sells hoops heads. A very special sport bloke welcome to Casey Frank. Oh, wow. That was, uh, th- th- that was extremely detailed and as long as you promised. <laughs> And there was even one thing we were intentionally missing off at the top there, wasn't there, Shui? Yeah, we actually wanted to start this off with a little bit of trivia without notice for you, Casey. So I've got a question. What do you, Capel Dev and Brett Lee, have in common? Me, Capel Dev? That I am unaware of. Please enlighten me. Well, the, the, the hint would be that it's not 300 test wickets, <laughs> but it's actually that you've all appeared in a Bollywood film. Ah, uh, yes, yes. The Bollywood movie was a pretty great experience. Uh, I was uh, fortunate to to get a chance to go over and enjoy life as a Bollywood stuntman with a friend of mine and uh, Mohenjo Dado. It's got about a 20-minute fight scene. Uh, we were over there for about six weeks rehearsing and filming it. And uh, w- w- one of the more unique things that I've been able to do in my life. Yeah, so I've got a, a few questions about that because I was actually fortunate enough to be able to get a hold of the film and have a bit of a look at it. <laughs> The fight scene is very incredible, very, very detailed. You both take turns at having a go at this guy. I guess to give people a little bit of background who maybe don't know about this film, it's one of your sort of typical romantic Bollywood stories where a guy from a lower class falls in love with a princess of sorts and basically tries to to win her over, somebody objects, and, and there's all sorts of amazing parts to this film. And as he's fighting, I guess, to to try and have the right to be married to her and save their civilization. 
the fight scene is very much where you come in and, and there's this gladiator style arena these two massive dudes attack him and those two dudes are none other than former New Zealand breaker and Perth Wildcat Mike Homick who plays Zucker and one Casey Frank playing Bucker. So I guess the, the first question, you've got 300 people apparently auditioned for this role. The obvious question is, it's a long way from the streets of New Zealand. How did this all come about? That's a good, great, great pull on my comic because he is actually the reason it came about for me. Uh, post his basketball career, my comics uh, got into a lot of stunts over here in New Zealand. He's uh, had some major roles in some of the, not, not the Lord of the Rings movies, but the Hobbit movies sort of put him on. He was the mountain stunt double in uh, Game of Thrones final season, so he's quite big time. And the stunt double, the stunt coordinator for that movie was somebody who'd worked on him within The Hobbit, wanted him to have a body double, and he just asked me if I could come over because I had six weeks to kill <laughs> after one of, uh, I think it was the, after a World Cup. So I said, yeah, man, that sounds awesome. Uh, I'll come over there. We'll spend time together, do that. And uh, it was, I was supposed to just be his body double. His face was supposed to be computer generated but thankfully they lost or they ran out of money and i got to play myself because i was athletic <laughs> enough and moved around enough so it's interesting the film was actually filmed in a, a place called bouge i think which is um i can't remember what, what whether it's gujarat or rajasthan or one of those regions anyway Nathan and I have actually been fortunate enough to be in India. We've, we've spent some time over there. We obviously can vouch for how ridiculously hot it gets. That place looks like it's in the middle of a desert. I, I kind of wanted to know a bit more about, you know, what was the city like? What was the whole experience like? Obviously, it looked ridiculously hot during that fight scene. Yeah, it, it was quite hot. Uh, I remember the, the the film crew and some of the extras gave us a lot of props for the fact that we would lie down in that sand and just uh, during the film and they're like, you guys okay? We're like, yeah, we'll, we'll be fine. It's no big deal. But yeah, it was uh, the city itself. We didn't get experience too much because it was filming six six days a week, like 12 hours a day. So so we'd just be on set in the middle of the desert, which was about an hour drive of, uh, around from the city where we were. And so they, they actually just built like a Mohenjo Dado set out in the middle of the desert, half a million bricks were laid down on the street, which was pretty amazing. So you'd ride a set every day and it would just be this huge, real like village type thing. A lot of it was actually built, that huge arena that we fought in that we just trained in every day. And so spent six weeks there, walked around the city a little bit. It was, there was some old ruins there from, uh, I can't remember, what do they call like the, the rulers back in the, uh, a couple hundred years ago? I can't remember what they called, but he had a city there with a walled thing. We walked through that. It was about the only thing we saw other than uh, the hotel room and the van ride back and forth from set. So when you did walk around, did you get the typical, oh, are you a basketball player? Were there any Principal Singh fans or anyone like that? No, that's too early for Principal Singh. But... Been, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no fans just yet. They did. Everybody in the town knew that. We were in town because the the star of the film is a really famous Indian actor by the name of Ritik Roshan, and so he he was uh everybody knew he was around. He had full security wherever he went. We fortunately did not need that. Uh, it was quite strange to see two giant white dudes walking around at the time. While we were both uh pretty cut up as well for that movie, so it was a uh, we'd get the looks. We had both had the big beards, but uh, once he told them they were from Bollywood, they were all pr- pretty gracious to have you. Not, not a lot to do in that town, though. It was it was dry and it was vegetarian, so the only meat that was there was on set for us, so we didn't get too skinny. I still lost, I think, about 12 kilo. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and it's so interesting you mentioned Kritik. Obviously, yeah, the main character playing this, uh, this guy, Saman, in that fight scene, uh, and look, I will... Obviously, give people a bit of a spoiler here. I think if it was real life, you and Mike probably would have handled him. You, you had him, well, you had him certainly pinned down a few times, and uh, ultimately, in the end, as the the films go, he turns the tables and takes out Mike. And he was uh, he basically had you pretty much dead to rights, but gave you the uh, the mercy as good guys often do in those films. It was a 
yeah, really, really cool to get to see that. And I, I loved the acting, you guys coming out there basically just screaming and yelling at him. And oh, it was great. Did they have you singing and dancing, mate? They, they did have the singing and dancing, and there was uh, room, rumors or threading, threats that they were going to bring us back to film those parts. I don't, uh, they, they thankfully decided the better of it, but uh, we, we, we didn't get to do any of that rehearsing when we were there. We just got to watch from afar. So at risk of turning into a Bollywood podcast, we'll get onto the sport. We're interested in how your basketball career began, and we'll wedge in some more Casey Frank trivia while we ask this question, because if I'm not mistaken, your grandfather played for the Philadelphia Eagles in the NFL. Yeah, that's actually correct. Uh, he, he was a, a keen footballer, you know, born just uh, pre-depression, 1917 in the Bronx, New York. So a, a very different time in New York, and he used sport to get out. Uh, the rumors of the family go, he was a, a 10-sport letterman when he was in high school, uh, got a scholarship to Georgetown, was a college football player, and then was playing for the Eagles. And right after the second season, perhaps, he, he got drafted and then uh, went to war down here in the Pacific on a carrier. So uh Wow. When he came back, he got a concussion, and there went his football career. But back then, uh, they weren't quite as lucrative as they are now. Crazy, yeah. No, I did have a quick look. Fourteen games for the Eagles as a tackle. It's a look. Anyone making that league, I think, is impressive. That's Absolutely, a, yeah. A, you know, it's incredibly competitive sport. Yeah, he was uh, back then, especially. I think uh, pre-face masks. So uh, Grandpa Joe had quite a few broken noses. Uh, actually, also went to the spring training with the Washington Senators as a catcher. So he was a, he was a multi-sport guy. I think part of his uh, naval service was also to go around with the naval football team and play football for some exhibition matches uh, back then uh, before he came down to the Pacific. So uh, they used his athletic prowess as well. I think he might have gotten paid better for that than he did for the actual NFL. <laughs> so does that make you an Eagles fan, mate? Or I know you were born in New York, maybe one of the New York teams. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Always an Eagles fan. We've got, we've got the family's got a soft spot in the heart for the Eagles. He was number thirty-two, so there was quite a family, a few family Sundays where we'd all get together in the the thirty-two jersey for the Eagles. But uh, my my unfortunate sports lineage on the New York side has come down to the Jets and professional football because my father was a Joe Namath fan. So that uh, that unfortunately has, has cursed me to a lot of poor football decisions between them and the Arizona Cardinals, where I grew up. Well, with uh, Aaron Rodgers going there, things could turn around. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like that. That's going to be uh, not not the best for the Jets. I don't. I don't know. Uh, Aaron Rodgers in, in New York City uh, at the tail end of his career does not seem like something that's made in a fairy tale book. Yes, yeah, probably very polarizing. Uh, <laughs> some fans would love it. Some fans would hate it. But I don't know. I think you, the uh, chances of the Eagles might be a little bit better than the Jets. So was basketball your first love then, or did you kind of arrive there circuitously after football and other things? Uh, first sport that I really got into was baseball. Uh, my, my dad was a big baseball fan, and I was a big Yankees fan, even though I grew up not always in New York, all around the, around the country. But it was, it was sort, sort of baseball first, uh, and pl- played a lot of that. Until I sort of got to high school, 12, 12 years just before high school, when is when I one of my best friends was in hoops, and I started playing a lot of basketball with him, and that's when... I start, sort of started developing my love for it. And obviously you were a key part of not only that team, but that entire conference. And then you made the tournament, which would have been absolutely incredible. Yeah, in, ter- in terms of uh, the college basketball, yeah. yeah. Uh, when we went to Northern Arizona, yeah, that was that was pretty awesome. Uh, you know, that was before I got to that school, you know, it had uh, previously only been to one, uh, I think, Big Sky Conference Championship game and been to one NIT, hadn't been to an NCAA tournament. Uh, you, you know, that team that first made it, uh, we were actually in the Hall of Fame in the school there. And uh, I still keep in touch with those guys. We're in the te- text chain uh, here. And, you know, that was, that was 
the first time as a basketball player, you sort of set out a goal. This is something that we can do that's never been done at the school before and went out and achieved it. It was really exciting playing against a really talented uh, Cincinnati team that was a number two seed with a couple of NBA players and a, a future Australian uh, NBL star and Bobby Brandon as well. Uh, losing to those guys in the tourney and not quite getting over the hump the next year, my senior year. But uh, college basketball was definitely a, a lot of fun and a place where I grew a lot as a player and, you know, just to, in terms of my love for the game as well. And you've kind of alluded to something that I would obviously love to ask you. We, we spoke previously with Cody Ellis and kind of had a similar conversation with him. It's always interesting to know, you know, this, those NBA players that you mentioned, who, are they guys that we would maybe know of? Yeah, uh, Ruben Patterson. Oh, wow. <laughs> he was the, the Kobe stopper for a while there with the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, Melvin Levitt, who was known as the human helicopter, he, he had a, a he was a quite quite the leaper. Uh, had to compete against him in a dunk contest uh, in, in the Desert Classic, which is kind of a senior college all star game. And I, I unfortunately was not able to overcome the guy who could jump over three ball racks and had a forty three inch vert. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, there's no uh, shame I, I there. <laughs> yeah, no shame. I couldn't pull that one off. But uh, the one who would be most notable would be Kenyon Martin. So, yeah, I, I do remember, you know, Kenyon Martin was a starting center. I was a starting center for our team. I believe he was a sophomore. This is the year or two years before he got drafted uh, as the number one pick. And I just I, I'll still remember the first play where I got the ball in the post up faked he jumped i stepped through i was like good move and he was there again i up faked he jumped again i stepped through i uh, fake up faked he jumped a third time and then i shot a hook shot that barely went over his hand i was just running back thinking wow this is gonna be a long day well he was an amazing college player and drafted very highly as well of course and obviously when you put that sort of bounce with a guy who is that height it's no obviously no surprise i guess that he was very successful in the NBA, had, yeah, I think it maybe multiple all-star births, certainly at least one. Well, but... went to the finals with the Nets a couple of times, obviously. So, yeah, yeah had incredible. a great career. Yeah. But, but, yeah, definitely Ruben Patterson's another one we we certainly know a bit about. He was, yeah, an incredible player in those Portland teams. Uh, I think he was with Seattle as well for a couple of seasons. And, it bounced around uh, a bit. Milwaukee, yeah. yeah There's a yeah. Few, few of those sorts of teams. Was Bob Huggins coaching that team at that point? Or was that before he yeah, came Bob- that was Bob Huggins. He's, he'd been at Cincinnati for a while, then he had uh, quite a program uh, through the years. That I think, uh, you know, he had Danny Fortson the years before that. So they'd been a top 10, top uh, program in the country for probably a few years there before he got in the current hot water that he is in his college coaching career. So still maybe going stronger, maybe not for too much longer. Yes, yeah, some interesting stuff there. We won't touch that. <laughs> <laughs> So we'd love to reflect on your career here in this neck of the woods. So my understanding is you nearly got a gig with the Cairns Taipans, but ultimately your career in the Southern Hemisphere started in 2002 with the Auckland Stars before your first season with the Breakers in 2003? Yeah, I, I went over, I think it was the Cairns Taipans, second year in uh, the NBL. Uh, it was the first year Guy Malloy was a the coach there, and he had come over looking for uh, sort of a mobile five to to pair with who was supposed to be at the time. Bennett Davidson was the other import they were going to sign. Uh, he didn't work out. Somebody else. So when I got there, it's sort of the player fit didn't quite work. Kenny Perkins was ended up being the import, and so so I was there for the preseason. I think it was who was it? I was doing okay, but I wasn't in great shape because I wasn't a great pro yet. I was still a pretty young young kid when I got over here. Maybe twenty two ish, I think when I when I made it over as an import. Uh, hadn't yet turned 23 and uh, I, I, uh, I, I think it was Andrew Goodwin for, for the Townsville uh, Crocs in a preseason game and the uh, just down there between might not even open door dropped 40 on me and I think guy at that point said uh, I think we're going to go with a different import <laughs> he did all right in the end landing with the breakers though. yeah I mean Goody was one of those guys where he, he did always look like he was the sort of guy who would torch people 
yeah, not necessarily at that level, but certainly, yeah, behind closed doors, you could see him doing that. He was, yeah, a little, not like, not a microwave, maybe that's not the word, but yeah, he certainly looked like the sort of guy who could put buckets in pretty quickly. Yeah, he, he could fill it up from a distance there really quickly. But yeah, after that, uh, I ended up down in New Zealand a few years uh, afterwards. I think I played in, the, in Sweden and the CBA in between those for, for about a year before that, before just finishing in Sweden and shooting down to, uh, to New Zealand and starting my career with the Auckland Stars. Yeah, I saw that. So was it, I think it was lacrosse in Wisconsin for the, the CBA and I think it was Uppsala in Sweden. I think there were some opportunities I saw there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the CBA was the year, unfortunately, that it folded. Isaiah Thomas uh, was the owner then and uh, had bought the entire league. So the entire league sort of ran into its debts and we had to stop playing like halfway through. So that was a bit of a stall for the career. We got, got a little stuck for a year, but I was injured. And on the back of that injury the next year is, uh, I think, uh, when I came down to New Zealand uh, after, after my stint in Sweden. I, I want to jump on something you mentioned there um, about Isaiah Thomas. What did you think when you saw him next to uh, Matt Ishbia at the Phoenix Suns? Like, oh, is that a guy you really want consulting when you've just bought a team? <laughs> I, mean, I am not, not the biggest IT fan. Uh, I, every time I see him, I think to myself, man, he still owes me money. Not technically. I don't think I have any legal claims, but it was about, about 20 games in and I was having a pretty good season. And uh, I was really enjoying playing at that level. You know, it was just a level beneath the NBA, uh, uh, you know, some really good talent. Uh, learned a, 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 how to be a pro in a certain level, how to really prepare yourself on game days, get ready for that and a grind of a season. But uh, that, that, that ended in sort of prematurely put a lot of guys out trying to get jobs at the same time. So it was a, a bit of a bit of a tough couple months, but also a good time because I was able to uh, go back to school. And I think I, that's when I finished my degree. If I can remember correctly, I'm not 100% positive. And so obviously then you've you've sort of come over here, a couple of kind of false starts, I guess, in the NBL, short stints with the Breakers and the Razorbacks. And it was 06, 07 with the Wollongong Hawks where you kind of got your footing and really showed the league what you could do. I think it was nearly 12 and 7 a game you averaged. What was that season like? Finally, getting to prove yourself. Uh, it, it was really enjoyable to to join that team. You know, they they had a great leadership group. Obviously, I had I had become a, a citizen in that time. You know, my first season with the Breakers, they had brought me in as an import for a really talented uh, New Zealand team. And that next year uh, with uh, West Sydney with the Razorbacks, uh, I sort of come as a fill in for an import for Nick Corbath who had gone down with injury. So, but I had to come back to get my passport to get my citizenship. So. Following that Commonwealth Games, Chalk, Brendan Joyce, you know, he recruited me to, to the gong and getting to play with guys like Sav, uh, Glenn Savile and Matty Campbell. Uh, Benny Castle was on that team. And one of my Tall Blacks teammates, Tony Rampton, was on that team as well. Uh, and uh, Adam Ballinger, you know, it was a really quality quality squad, a gr great town. You know, it was, uh, it was a great entry point for me to play that full season for the first time and, uh, you know, prove myself as a player that could, you know, contribute to a winning culture, uh, even though we didn't win a lot of games. I, I think that was maybe the, the Hawks' for worst season in a while. That was also the season that uh, Brendan Joyce uh, ended up parting ways in, in midseason. So really fun for a while and then uh, a bit difficult towards the end. That would have actually been around – the uh, super teams that Brisbane and Melbourne had, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it definitely was. Uh, that Sammy Mack uh, led CJ Bruton, Dylan Boucher, uh, how I remember him, uh, Brizzy teams. Uh, they were quite good. And also the Chris Ancy squads down there in Melbourne. Uh, I, I think my year in the, the gong was the year that Brizzy won it. And the next year was the year that the Tigers won it. But uh, 
Yeah, when you came up against those teams, you knew you uh, had to bring your best because uh, those were very talent-filled squads that can make for long nights, especially with the 48-minute games back then. Absolutely. Now, one of the interesting things I kind of wanted to talk about was that this was one of the few seasons where the league actually had the Singapore Slingers in the league. And I, from what I can tell, the Hawks made that trip once. It was quite early in the season, I think round four. What was that trip like? <laughs> that was interesting because uh, I had actually been recruited by the Slingers as well. Uh, you know, they, they were trying to put a team together, had, had a great coach uh, in Gordy McLeod that I was well familiar with, but the bit far that I decided I was ha- happy not to have to make that travel because uh, I, I, we, that was a, that was quite the long road trip. I think we had a double header where we started in Singapore and game two was in Melbourne. <laughs> so, so, so I think it was like yeah. a two days in between. But yeah, long flight, you know, you got, we got there uh, like a day early and you're just trying to get the body ready. But thankfully, the weather in Singapore was conducive to that. Uh, I do remember playing in a huge stadium that I think sat between 16 and 20,000 and there was about 150 people in the game. <laughs> so so, wow. so not, 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 the, not the best fun, but, you know, talking to some of the guys who had a chance to play over there, you know, it, it was an enjoyable experience and it was fun trying to bring that level of professional basketball there. But just not something that the community, the basketball supporting community especially, was ready to support at that time. But it, it was always interesting to make the trip over and uh, ha- have some games after that long seven or, or nine hour lo- road trip uh, flight, wherever you were coming from. Now you've kind of given us a couple of, I guess, interesting little segues into the following season. So 2007 and 2008, you're playing with the Gold Coast Blaze at the time, very different environment to Wollongong. And a couple of things that you kind of mentioned, I guess, the like the crowd sizes were certainly one thing. And that sort of time in the league, I mean, going back and having a look at all of the box scores, I think there were three games in the entire regular season where there were more than 6,000 spectators at a game. Um, you had the Wildcats playing at a Challenge Stadium, the Melbourne Tigers at the State Netball and Hockey Centre, the Sydney Kings were at the, the old Entertainment Centre, but they well, weren't... Well, they were on life support too exactly. at that point. Sydney Spirit and all that sort of yeah, stuff they, was around. They there. weren't drawing crowds. I guess the, the thing that we've been sort of talking about with a number of people is around the expansion and the talk around the Gold Coast. And so I guess wanted to know a little bit about your experience playing with the Blaze and whether you think the Gold Coast is maybe a viable market to to go for, I guess, round three with the Rollers, the Blaze, and whoever else. Yeah, I think it was interesting. You know, there was a lot of smaller arenas back then, so you didn't have the opportunity outside of the Sydney's work to, to sort of pack out, and Sydney definitely didn't have those crowds. And, you know, that first season, uh, the, the community was really behind the Blaze. Uh, it was great. You know, we, we opened to packed houses. At, I think it was uh, the convention center where we used to play, and they used to set it up right around 3,000 fans. And, you know, it was really well supported. I think the franchise became a little less viable a couple of years after I left. You know, I, I had a couple of years stint there and I also came back briefly uh, at Joey's first year as an injury replacement. I really enjoyed the time there. I thought the fans there were great. I, the fans that were supporting the community were great. From from what I understood, it was more uh, the issues with the team were around the financial deal that was cooked up with the convention center. It just wasn't financially viable to support the franchise as it needed to be. And I think, uh, you know, as a lot of, uh, at that time, a lot of owners were, would get into basketball and realize how much it costed pretty quickly. But, you know, I, I'd love to see the basketball come back to that arena uh, if it's able, able to be supported financially, because it's, it was, certainly was a fun place to play. Although I, I think maybe it might've been too fun, might've co- cost me a couple of extra years <laughs> at the end of my career. <laughs> Now, I'll jump on a couple of things there, too. I'd be interested to know, you were an injury replacement a couple of times in your career, and I'd be really interested to know what that's like, kind of walking into a team that's already partway through a season, and I guess all the chemistry challenges and and all this sort of thing. It must be a really quite a difficult thing to walk into. 
And then the other thing is, I'm really interested that New Zealand doesn't seem to be mentioned as an expansion place as well. Is that because they really want to invest in the Breakers being the one country team? Or do you know? Do you know? Do you have any insights as to why New Zealand isn't mentioned more often when NBO expansion comes up here in Australia? Well, I'll start with the expansion stuff. I, I think uh, you know what, what it comes down to is the size of the market. Uh, you know, New Zealand. Uh, as the total is about 5 million people, you know, if we work to take a second team, uh, you know, the most logical place would be Wellington, who has great support for the local league here. But, you know, the best stadium there seats, you know, just under 4,000 and to support that much basketball might, might be difficult. Uh, I know, you know, the owner of my team down there, Nick Mills, when I played down in Wellington, he was interested in getting it to happen. But uh, I think the financials maybe just didn't add up at the time. But I think certainly there's a level of talent in New Zealand as Australia's uh, experience at the same time. There's a boon in talent, and I think soon there's going to be enough talent for it to support quite a, a few, a number of extra teams. And, and you know, I think years back when, when uh, Basketball Australia was running the league, there wasn't that much interest in trying to help New Zealand I- improve as a basketballing nation. You know, there, there's still a lot of competition in that space. So that, it's a little bit different now, but more just to, to the feasibility of the market and the TV markets in Australia, not that I have any inside knowledge on it. Uh, to answer your question about coming in as a replacement, um, you know, it's it's funny. It's something that doesn't really bother me, I guess, when I was a kid. I used to move around a lot, so I was often dropped in as a new guy. Uh, and as far as my team presence, I was always, you know, a good locker room dude. I was a guy who could fit in pretty much in any locker room. I understood, uh, especially when you're coming in in that role in, in the Aussie League. Uh, I, I knew I wasn't coming in as an import to, you know, jack up shots, but coming in to support and try and get things done for other guys, which is always a role that I appreciated playing. Uh, and, and even still, you know, coming in as an import, how I started my career in Europe, you understand that you're coming in, you're coming to do a job, and you're going to fit in with these guys and uh, however you can. So, so I think all those things sort of supported me. But uh, in the most part, I was lucky to join teams that were people I was familiar with, uh, systems that supported me, and I was happy to come, you know, play ball because at the end of the day, I just loved playing the game. It was a privilege to get paid to do it. Could never imagine, unfortunately, being uh, what's the word, vertically challenged <laughs> at about five foot nine. I never really had the opportunity, but it doesn't surprise me at all that you fit in everywhere you go, mate. Such an affable and and uh, laid back guy. So I'm not surprised at all that you fit in. Yeah. Now, one of the things I did want to just kind of pick up on. Obviously, you're saying that you know you were a great teammate. I'm more actually interested to know who your favourite teammates were across the journey. Oh, that's a that's a, that's a, a phone book worth of names in there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I enjoyed playing with a lot of dudes over over a lot of years. Uh, I, th- I think back to some of my early Auckland Stars teams that won a couple titles over here with, you know, Dylan Boucher, who's, you know, one of the great teammates of all time. And then I played with him at Long Tall Blacks. You know, a guy who, who's I've never seen somebody with the skill to make everybody else better on his team. As far as the stuff that goes on the court, I've never seen a more unselfish teammate in that respect. Uh, you know, uh, Aaron Olsen, Lindsey Tate, guys who I played a lot, a lot with over that time, and guys you know like Lindsey, I played with for you know over a decade on a bunch of teams. So uh, he, he's a guy who I, I really respected playing with for a long time. The Tall Blacks guys, you know, all of them: Piero, Phil, uh, Pauly. Just the memories are great. But when you when I'm thinking about my time in Australia, you know, James Harvey is a guy who really comes to mind. Uh, I really appreciated playing with him. Uh, he was a great leader. He's still still a good friend. Uh, you know, st- obviously started out Perth with, with the Wildcats there, but was a really talented, a flame full throw, and, you know, uh, a great dude as a lo- locker room leader. And I think Glenn Savile, in, in different ways, but uh, is same strength as a leader and learned a lot from him on, on the court and how, how to relate to guys on and off it as well. 
God, so many great names. I, I used to love watching Phil Jones and, and Paulie Hinari play. Yes, they were yeah. they were great blokes. And and Dylan Boucher and James Harvey. Obviously, we're here in Perth, so we got to see them play a lot too. And Dylan Boucher, one of my favourite players of all time, really did a lot of the dirty work. The, the sort of player that maybe the casual fan doesn't appreciate, but the the diehard fans know how important he is to a franchise. Really tough competitor. Does a guy I could talk about for a long time. I mean, uh, uh, you know, when you when you I got over to New Zealand and saw, you know, the level of coaching at that time wasn't this high, but here was this, this guy and that generation of player. All those guys I mentioned were just so cerebral, really thought the game through. But Dill as a defensive player, uh, the number of different guys he could guard. You know, he, he guarded Yao Ming, he guarded Dirk Nowitzki, but he also guarded like the point guards. It's just, just, you know, guys like Derrick Rose or guys like Chris Paul, and so so he was all over the court and internationally and. I've never walked off a court with Dylan Boucher where the other team didn't give that guy a lot of respect. So your excellent work in our domestic leagues here meant that you got to represent the New Zealand Tall Blacks. What's it like representing your adopted country? And then how weird is it playing your birth country? And I dare wonder that the toughest competitors you ever faced were probably those Yankees. (laughs) Yeah, uh, as far as the Tall Blacks go, I just... It was a privilege for me to be asked to to uh, join that team. Uh, I got to know the guys first and foremost, and coaching staff I was aware of, and the culture I, I got to see as an import here in New Zealand before I, I was able to get my citizenship, and the Tall Black sponsored me and uh, got got me helped support my my application process. And, and I just I just really took that as a, a privilege, you know, living up to it uh, every time I put on that black jersey, and it's, it has become my adopted country, you know. And I, I took a lot of pride in the fact that. Uh, I, I got that privilege of wearing that jersey and put a lot of myself into it. You know, pl- playing the state, it, it, it actually wasn't that surreal. You know, you grow up when I first started playing basketball and watching the Dream Team, it was pretty amazing to go see that thing. I think the more, more surreal thing was being on the court at all with, uh, you know, that many guys and the, the, the talent on that team, you know, the number of all NBAs and NBA championships. Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, uh, Anthony Davis, guys like D- Derrick Rose, DeMarcus Cousins, uh, James Harden, a lot, lot of players, a lot of players on that team that that turned out to be even more impressive than they were at the time, and they were pretty fucking impressive at the time. <laughs> <laughs> now we do believe you've got a story with DeMarcus Cousins. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, yeah. There's a there's a a, a little tidbit. You know, we're, we're out there and we're boxing out. There was a foul, and he just comes up to me next well, on the first free throw and hits me with. Hey, my man, uh, what was up with that that thing you did before the game, my man? And I was talking about the haka, and uh, I, I started off with them. You know, I, I may not have the correct fucking papa to, to describe to you what the, the haka is, but uh, I went through, you know, it's we're calling to the teams before us and to the ancestors back in New Zealand about our strength and how we're better as a collective because of our, of our past. And I gave that the, the, the quickest spiel I could in between two free throws and just before <laughs> that second free throw went up, uh, he said, oh, I got you, my man, I got you, that's cool. And then uh, he immediately after just about shoved me completely out of the way with such ease that I didn't know human beings could do that. But he was, uh, he was a strong player and it was a good little 30-second th- chat. Absolutely. And I know those Chinese crowds loved the haka too, didn't they? They were mesmerized, but... Oh, they'd go nuts, man. Uh, some of those big stadiums, you'd pack out to, to play some of the tours. We spent a lot of time prepping in China uh, for, for the Tall Blacks. It was always on our our schedule that we went around. And, you know, sometimes 20,000 people. The, the clapping in unison that comes in China sometimes messed up the rhythm for the team a little bit. But uh, that, that might have been their favorite part of the game. Now, it's funny. You mentioned, obviously, how talented that American team was. I mean, looking at them from top to bottom, three MVPs, as you mentioned, a bunch of all NBA players. I mean, just that three-headed monster that they had in the centers with Davis, Cousins, and Andre Drummond was incredible. But 
yeah, the Kiwis had a very, very good team. Obviously, Kirk Penny was probably just past his prime, but still very, very good. Mika Vakona, the Webster boys were sort of coming up. Thomas Abercrombie was in his 20s. So you had a very, very strong team top to bottom as well. Yeah, you know, I think internationally, Kirk's prime uh, lasted a long time. In the prep for that tour, he was still getting mid-30s. I think as part of that buildup over those two years, he was still dropping 40 international. So he was as potent an international score you could ask for, really understood how to create buckets in the half court at that level. Mika was, a, a, you know, another guy who's just such a great teammate, gives so much of himself at, at all times and just a, just a fantastic defender, but uh, an unorthodox player that really, with his effort levels, team struggled with. So, uh, you know, Especially the tall blacks, you know, you, you listed a lot of guys. I think Isaac Fotu was come up as his own there as a young player. Rob Lowe, I think, started as well. So th- that sort of generation that's still hanging on now. This was their first forays into into that level of basketball. And uh, one thing about the tall blacks is when we get that talent together, it always seems to as a collective play above itself. And uh, I think uh, you know, in, in those World Cups, there was that streak there. We made of I think uh, three four crossovers in a row. I was a part of, of three of those. And uh, that that was, I guess, evidence of of how we felt we could play above ourselves. Now, obviously, that tournament, you guys played incredibly well. Both Australia and New Zealand, unfortunately, had really tough losses in that round of 16. You guys went down by five to Lithuania, who finished fourth in the tournament. Oh, they always punch above their weight. They're amazing. So, yeah, run us through, I guess, the, the overall experience in that tournament and how you guys went. Uh, you, you, we, we came in put, playing a pretty good brand of basketball. Uh is this, I'm trying to think, is this uh, 2014, is this China or is this Turkey? This is 2014 Spain, Spain, sorry. Yes. Uh, so, so, so it's been in those crossovers, you know, we, we had a, a real tough crossover uh, or to, to get to the crossovers. Obviously, the American team, Americans were in there. But uh, since the Dominican Republic was pretty talented, that was a Finnish team that had been playing really good basketball. Uh, we, we beat the Ukraine, who unfortunately back then as well was going to the civil strife. But when we got to those crossovers, we, we were pretty confident playing Lithuania because we had actually we, we had had a, a, a warm up pair of games against them in, in Lithuania. And we had actually won one of them. You know, we beat Lithuania in Lithuania as part of our buildup. This was a team we were familiar with that. While while they were really talented, they they had guys like Valanciunas. That's the one I I remember the most because I had to guard him the most. <laughs> had to have that big body laying on me. But uh, you know they're always such a talented team. They run their stuff so well. Uh, but but we had that confidence coming into the crossovers, and I think didn't quite play our best game. They they took us out of some of our stuff, some of the stuff that was more successful earlier. Uh, against them uh they, they just used their size and athleticism to get an early lead and we were chasing a little bit and you know we were never at our best internationally when we were chasing from behind because it's all it's always tough uh to sort of manufacture points in a short amount of time against guys of that talent so we've already talked about some of the creative post-basketball stuff you've done but we'd be really interested to know how you got into commentary and i guess following on from that we'd be remiss not to ask you about how things are shaping up in the current NZNBL. Seems like there are two clear leaders at the moment with Otago 7-0 and and Canterbury 6-1. and And obviously, there's some very familiar names there with Jared Kenny and Jordan Itai at Otago and Ruben Tarangi and Taylor Britt at Canterbury that uh, many of our Aussie listeners will know about. But then there's a bit of a logjam with several teams hovering around 500. Are there any teams, are they the two teams to beat or do you think things can change? Yeah, Otago's been really impressive. The way they've been pl- defending, I think, from Todd Weathers' time in, in the in the NBL in Australia, 
he, he's just such a, a top flight defender. He, he's improved as a shooter over the, his seasons over here. And what he offers, I think, is, you know, when, when you get a, a, a level of import talent over here, they can just really carry you a long ways. Ja'Cory McLaughlin, former NBA player with the Mavericks, had a cup of coffee there. And so a lot of talent with Michael Harris, who's uh, just sort of finding his feet. And they, they certainly look like the class of the competition right now. Uh, they, they just haven't uh, really looked too pressed on the offensive end and defensively. They've just, uh, they're the only team, I think, that's holding teams with a defensive rating under 100. So they look the class. I think uh, Canterbury's going to run into a bit of trouble now. Uh, Ty Winyard's just signed a contract to play 3x3 in Shanghai. So the Rams had him under contract, but it was a, a financial windfall. Who, who, who knew for 3x3? But he's going to put six months in Shanghai. So they, they're, they're about to change their team. And I think they might fall back to the pack a little bit. So when, when you look at the, the overall outside of the, the Nuggets, who, who do look like they'll be cruising into the finals and may or may not get tested along the way too heavily, uh, everybody else has a chance to get in. But uh, the work has to start now. Probably going to look around 500 basketball. Might sneak you into the finals and get you a chance to make it after that. Now, there have been obviously quite a, a few stats, like really big stat lines coming out of there. It looks like Jeremy Kendall's playing awesome ball, Jared Weeks, Ruben Tarangi, Michael Harris and Hiram Harris are uh, both having really good seasons. Even Rob Lowe, 18 and 10. Do you see he's averaging 2.8 steals and 3.3 blocks a game? Oh, it's a very good absolutely player. massive. Yeah. Obviously, I'm naming a bunch of guys that have played NBL. Is there anyone else maybe that we should be looking at that's maybe not on the radar as much? Uh, you know, Ty, Ty Winyard was a guy who I thought uh, with, with his physicality and the way he had sort of revitalized his career uh, after a disappointing start uh, after leaving Kentucky. But with that that contract he signed over there, I think that New Zealand has become a bit of an entry point for some of the import talent to try and get a foothold into the Australian League. I think it might be a little bit easier to get noticed than it is through NBL1. Uh, got guys like you know Te- Tevin Brown uh, w- with the Rams, he he looks really talented, uh, NBA level or NBL level uh, point guard talent in Australia. Uh, you know Jeremy Kendall, he, he's yeah I've had to talk to him. I've I've had the p- privilege of doing a couple of his games in person, and he, he's still pretty focused on on continuing his career. Would love one more shot uh, in Australia, and he, he's uh, been an absolute legend as a leader down there in Southland. They can't say enough good things about him, and even though he's in his mid-30s now, he, he, he really does have, play at a great pace. He's putting it together. And, you know, he, here, uh, you, you know, you mentioned Weeksy, who, uh, another guy, maybe at the end of that tether uh, the last couple of years left in the Australian League, but really trying to find a contract over there. So the stat lines have been pretty high. Uh, the scoring has been pretty free this year. There's been some rules uh, that, that have sort of optimized it, the, the game offensively that has made it, a, I think, a little bit uh, easier free-flowing on that side. So uh, the, the talent has been able to shine, and it's been a real enjoyable uh, season to commentate so far. So, Casey, thank you, obviously, so much for your time. One of the things that we do love to do with everyone who comes on the show as a guest, we love asking you about your favorite live sporting event. Now, you've obviously been fortunate enough to spend a number of years in the sport and do it all around the world. So, be really interested to know what your favorite live sporting event is. Doesn't have to be basketball, either. No, and it could be as a child, could be as a teammate, as a commentator, any and all. You can take it how you wish. There's a, there's a couple. There's one, one that I really remember as a fan, as a kid, because I was such a baseball fan. I got to go to Yankee Stadium, and uh, we watched the Kansas City Royals play back when they had Bo Jackson. Uh, and this was when he was just taking the MLB by storm and ran up and caught a home run uh, or caught a ball in the outfield and sort of ran up vertically on the on the wall that I got to see in person when I think I was 10 years old. So that, that was a game that always sort of stuck with me, going to the Bronx and seeing that as a young boy. I used to spend my summers out there, which was quite fun. He had a rocket for an arm, didn't he? He was incredible. 
Yeah, he hit some home runs that game too. And I just remember uh, my uncle, my cousin Brendan's dad, Timmy, Timmy Henry, just really cussing out Bo Jackson when he came to the line because he was so good. And that's how, that's how you <laughs> could tell he was good, was the New Yorkers were really giving it to him. <laughs> Sensational. Uh, as, as I get a little bit older, uh, it's just the, the World Cup is just such an experience. Having been to three uh, uh, and the first one in Japan and Hiroshima was an amazing place to go do it. Seeing the World Peace Museum and coming across guys and, and that one like Dirk, like Pau Gasol, the, the Argentinian teams with Manu. Seeing all those guys at the hotel, it's it's a pretty surreal experience. And then you cross over as you get to go to three of them, and guys like uh, um, Rudy, uh, Rudy, Rudy Fernandez, to, yeah, Rudy Fernandez. Uh, but that's always a surreal experience at the at those World Cups. Seeing those guys, uh, you know, I got a picture with Arvidas Sabonis after that last game against Lithuania, which ended up being my last Tall Blacks game. You know, so 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 when you're in those big stadiums, uh, I think you know, when, as a Tall Black, as a player. One that might slip underneath, but we 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 got to win at Serbia in Serbia playing against uh, Tia Dosic. Uh, Kurstic oh. was at that team, uh, you know, and that was you know prepping for the World Cup when Serbia ended up taking the silver medal that season and to w- beat them in Partizan was a game with, with uh, Kirk Penny with uh, Ty Webster playing really well in that fourth quarter. Isaac Foto that uh, 2014. That's a game I'll always remember. Well, wow. Milos Teodosic, he's one of those guys that very easy to forget. He had a, a really interesting season with the Clippers for, I think, one year. But, yeah, he was an incredible player. An incredible player. Uh, we, we After we beat him on the court, uh, we, we had the pleasure of seeing him in a, a nightclub in Serbia afterwards. And uh, he had the look of a guy who, who would smoke a pack after a game. And uh, I can tell you that. <laughs> reasonably accurate. Reasonably accurate. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you so much, Casey. You've been super generous with your time. It's now pushing 11 o'clock over there in New Zealand. So thank you for joining us. I guess any plugs or any projects or anything you wanted to let our listeners know about? Uh, nah, no, no plugs, bro. I'm, uh, just, thanks for having me on. It was, a, it was a lot of fun telling the story and uh, having a yarn. Thank you so much again, mate. We really appreciate it. We wish you all the best and we really look forward to listening to you commentate in the Australian NBL very soon. Absolutely. Yeah, sh- shut up, boys. Uh, I look forward to doing it. Good yarn. Thanks for the time. Appreciate it, Casey. Uh, you're a bloody legend, <laughs> mate. Thank you so much. Cheers, boys. So, Shuri, fair bit in the NBA world, obviously, with the playoffs in full swing, but it's not just the playoffs, is it? There's tons of stuff going on. So it's been a little while since we recorded. We won't go series by series. We'll just kind of touch on some main things. Spurs getting number one pick, Wembenyama going to San Antonio, the French connection. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still pinching myself, man, honestly. The worst part about it is that I, for the last week, have had in my head, like, we're going to end up with the fucking 12th pick. And sure enough, 12th pick. Woo! Well, while we're on that, did you see that Dallas got the 10th? So their tanking (laughs) tanking was worth it. Just. They don't have to parlay that one to New York this season. Just. So that that was pretty interesting in the end. Yeah, it's funny you say that, man, because I I fell asleep on the couch last night and then woke up and NBA Today was on and it was kind of the lead into the draft coverage. And so I watched a tiny bit of that and I went to bed thinking the Spurs are going to get the number two pick. I was just convinced we were going to miss out by one. But there you go. Lightning struck three times with big guys in San Antonio. I have a question for you now. Yes, sir. What was the first thing that you saw? Because I sent you, obviously, an all-caps message going, you got Wembley. Yes, I did. I saw that before. I My plan was to jump on ESPN when I woke up, but I didn't need to. I saw your SMS before I jumped on ESPN. And I didn't reply right away because it was a busy morning and whatnot. And you were like, it took me a little while. And, and yeah, they were understaffed at work. And, uh, yeah, a bit of a crazy start to the morning for me. So I don't think I got in touch till 10 o'clock. I or thought, 
maybe you'd had a heart attack, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. which would have been understandable. Ah, uh, yes. No, very excited and already looking at uh, League Pass and thinking mm. about buying a games console so I can play NBA 2K yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. Anyway, keep an eye out for our draft episode coming up soon. Obviously, we focus on the stuff that's more in our wheelhouse. The Aussie and the New Zealand players or people that have played here in Australia and New Zealand, obviously there's that strong French connection in the NBL too. So yeah, keep an eye out for that one. We probably won't talk too much more about the draft now unless you've got anything else. To be fair, as much as I'm pissed off, OKC's done pretty well with the number 12 pick. We got Jalen Williams at 12. OKC have a very good team. and, And well, you've basically got a guy who didn't play in Chet Holmgren this season. Yep. So, yeah. And we got Stephen Adams at 12 as well. Yeah, right. There you go. So, yeah. we do arrive at another New Zealand connection. Fantastic. I wonder if there's any way that the Spurs would take seven first-round runs. <laughs> no. I, we I, covered that with both. I, I had that conversation with someone online. I'm like, there's not no amount of first-round no. dangle. It's no. not worth it. Yeah. No, there's not. Where do we go next? Do we do we look at on-court or off-court? Oh, it's got to be off-court, doesn't off-court. it? Off-court. Yeah. John Morant. What do you make of it all? He's done it again. This is very much one of those fool me once, sh- shame on, sh- sh- shame on you. Fool me twice, you can't be fooled you again. You can't get fooled again. <laughs> this, the, unfortunately, is you know as much as we make a, a joke about it. Oh, this is going to be really interesting to see what the league does, and you could see in interviews with Adam Silver just how utterly gutted and disappointed he is that one of the stars of his product effectively is potentially throwing away his career and more interested with hanging out with his homies and flashing guns on Instagram and all of that sort of stuff. I mean, it doesn't say much about the level of IQ that he would even do that on any sort of live stream, but it's just disappointing that you would already have a fairly sizable suspension that cost him about $600,000. It's funny you mentioned the live stream thing because his mate clearly realised and moved the camera away, but... Internet sleuths, it only takes one frame. One frame is all you need. That's it. Yeah. But then on top of that, now he's potentially going to lose a Nike deal. It was that drink deal. It was a Powerade deal. Yeah, yeah. And then whatever the consequences are in terms of games, I mean, what number do you think you'd be putting on this? Uh, So I was watching them talk about it on Get Up last night, and basically I thought JJ Reddick's take was really good. I mean, I love JJ Reddick. He's he's applied for the uh, Toronto Raptors coaching job. Yeah. Selfishly, I hope he doesn't get it because I just love him as an analyst. But for his career, I hope he gets it because I think he's brilliant. He he said 16 games. He said if the first instance was eight games, it makes sense that you maybe double it. Mm. The, the, thing, the thing that's really interesting, and you've probably seen this one doing the rounds, is you kind of juxtapose this situation and the penalty and the loss of earnings and the suspension and all that goes with it with the fact that in America, there are literally politicians that send out posts holding automatic bloody AR-15s or whatever with their entire family. <laughs> you are no gun aficionado. Oh, no, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> Which is but, good- but you know what I mean? So, so on one hand, we've got, it's perfectly legal. I mean, in the state of Tennessee, if that was where it was filmed, in the state of Tennessee, you don't need a license and to, to carry. Mm. So, so there's open carry. So on one hand, he didn't necessarily break the law. And when you think about the gun culture in the United States, like it's funny. I, do you ever see on Twitter there's that like funny maps or... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I remember there was one that was like what the world thinks of America. And it was like um, Disneyland and then guns. Hicks and that. Well, no, the guns wasn't mentioned. Oh, cool. but, well, when I saw that picture, 
all I could think about was the entire country, gun nuts. nuts you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, and like I say, there are politicians that are literally, they include it in their campaigns and whatnot with their entire family, with little children, little girls holding pink guns that can't be older than five years old. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so it's really interesting in that regard. However, there's that whole bringing the game into disrepute sort of thing. And Molly Kieran made a really good point on first take last night. She was like, we were just about to have a game seven between Philadelphia and Boston, the MVP, one of the greatest players in the league, Jason Tatum, several other great players, you know, former MVP and James Harden. And what do we talk about? We're talking about jar and guns. And in that sense, it does. It is bringing the game into disrepute because while they would much rather and should be talking about the action on court, instead they're having to waste time talking about this bullshit. So, yeah. And the other thing, just quickly to round this out, just because something's legal doesn't mean you should be doing it. I mean, I believe marijuana is legal in how many states? What, legal in California? Oh, it's, uh, well, a lot of the country these days, yeah. yeah. Most of the country, I think. But players can still get suspended for... Well, no. Funnily enough, in the new CBA, I believe that weed is not going to be a, an illegal substance. Isn't the one that's just come out, though? The one that's... Well, the one that will come... The upcoming one. Yeah, but like last... Let's say last... Well, not year, currently, yeah. But last, yeah. Year, last year, last for year, example, yeah. yeah. Like, you could have got suspended for one strike, two strikes, three... I mean, there's been guys that have been out of the league previously for yes. marijuana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and that's a really interesting one, too, for anyone that's competing in the World Cup, obviously, because they might be able to do it in America, but if they want to play internationally, mm. but yeah. So you're right. say, yeah, just because something's legal doesn't mean you should do it. Well, that's right. And employers often have limitations on what employees can do use of social media for example when you're representing the company so he's earning a shitload of money and there are certain things you've just got to not do or don't get it on camera for the love of god Mm. now how's this Shui? can i read you this yes tell me if this sounds familiar i know i've disappointed a lot of people who have supported me this is a journey and i recognize there is more work to do my words may not mean much right now but i take full accountability for my actions I'm committed to continuing working on myself, to work on myself. Bill Clinton after the Monica Lewinsky. That is the response to ChatGPT. Write me a paragraph apologizing to everyone about my actions. Right. Okay. Well, there you go. Word for word. But, but you know, it does. That was his apology. Yeah. Word for word. Yeah, it applies to so many different things yeah. well, from the past. But yes, it is. Uh... So it makes you wonder if he's still taking it seriously. Well, exactly. Yeah, he's probably literally just had somebody do that. There you go. So where should we go next, Shui? Obviously, we've got our conference finalists now. Indeed, we even had a game one today. I haven't had a chance to watch any yet. I think you might have I seen a little a bit. decent chunk of it, yeah. Should we start moving closer to the court, I guess? <laughs> okay, yes. Yeah, oh, okay. So what was it, game three or game four? It's been a little while. Some the Matt Ishbia ball incident. One of the games in Phoenix, yeah. Yes, yes. What do you make of it all? It's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, I think the thing that I found most interesting is this whole notion that because he's an owner, he can't be ejected. Mm. That's the bit that I don't particularly like. And I don't know why he's completely immune from all of that. Some other guy yes. sitting next to him gets ejected. For he, he deserved it though, in, in fairness. Oh, of course. Yeah. But yeah. If, if he did, then Ishbia deserved it as well. So it's it's kind of an interesting one. I'm, I'm glad that it was just a tech on Jokic. I didn't even really like that that was a tech because he's just trying to get the ball back. Well, he is because there have been games. I remember seeing in in the Philly-Boston game, I think a day later, them running a four-on-five fast break because a guy's fallen down. So you can see why Jokic wanted the ball real quick because he wanted to move it so that they could get an easy bucket in the playoffs. 
And and Ishbia knew exactly what he was doing. Of course. Former collegiate basketball player played on that Michigan State championship team with Mateen Cleaves and Mo Peterson and yeah, yeah. What's that? BJ Granger, whatever his name. AJ Granger. AJ Granger. Great team around 2000 ish. So so he played basketball. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knew he was wasting time to stop a fast break. So yeah, very impressive grip. You have to say. Well, it took, Jokic put a lot into that, and he only just got the ball it out. It kind of flicked out, didn't yeah, it? But, yeah, but he was clever to throw it further into the crowd. Yeah, look, I don't love that sort of interaction. I understand what Ishbia was doing. Obviously, yeah, slow the play down. I think it was a Kogi that had fallen into I the I think crowd. you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. One of those guys. I'm pretty yeah. sure it was him. No, I'm pretty sure it was too. And obviously, he's trying to buy his team some time to get back into the defensive end of the court. But yeah. Yeah, I don't like the look. No. And I'm glad. Obviously, it was great to see the stuff on Twitter the next day or the next game, them basically hugging it out. And I thought you were going to say his apology on Twitter saying, don't suspend him. I didn't even say that, to be well, honest. Well, see, I, I don't love that, to be honest. A lot of people said, oh, classy move. That's stuff you should do behind closed doors because he then backs the league into a corner. Yeah. By coming out, it's there's so much new ownership with this. Obviously, Monty Williams has got fired too. We'll talk about that in a moment. But there's so much new ownership going on. I don't think he should have publicly said that. By all means, behind closed doors, by all means, get on the phone to Adam Silver immediately and say, look, don't suspend him. There was a bit of shenanigans going on on my part. There was that massive flop, you know. Yes. That was like next level flopping right there. That was... Yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I think that if the league wanted to suspend Jokic, they kind of were then unable to because Ishbi has come out publicly. So I didn't even like that, to be honest. But I mean, if they'd suspended him, that would have been an absolute Jokic. <laughs> He's called the Joker. Yes. After all. Yeah, no, interesting one. But yeah, tons of new ownership going on. Look, I'm not at all surprised at the result. Obviously, I'm a massive fan of Denver. I think they're, they're a tremendous team. And, and I did think that trade was more for next season. Obviously, playing with house money this season, they did pretty well. But I think next season is the season Phoenix will be circling. And I reckon Dylan Brooks might be a sneaky little, you know, maybe get him on a cheap deal, see if he can reform his image a little bit. Defender and handy handy offensive player at times too. I wonder, now chemistry is an issue. I wouldn't mm. want him on my team. But I wonder if he might be the sort of guy they might try and target. Possibly. I, I mean, they might just look at it and say, well, let's just run it back. I mean... Oh, they need more bench depth, though, I think. Yeah, they've, they've got to find a way to keep Chris Paul healthy in playoffs. I mean, it's it's like death taxes and Chris Paul getting a soft tissue injury in the playoffs. <laughs> it, it's a guarantee. Well, there's talk of... Uh, Bill Simmons was saying today, so in lieu of being able to watch the game, I listened to his podcast while I was working, and he reckons the Spurs might say, look, we'll take Chris Paul's salary because the timelines are a bit different. Mm. So and the Spurs have a shitload of cap room. So it'll be interesting to see if they even keep Paul, because arguably they were better when Booker was running point guard. It's a tricky one. It is a tricky like, one. It, it's like when we would sort of see the Bucks win a game without Giannis and go, well, they actually looked better with yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, I still don't know about And even like DeAndre Ayton, when, when he missed the, the closeout game and everyone, we'd all been bad-mouthing and guys getting torched by Jokic, but... Geez, I'll tell you what, without him there, it was a hundred times worse. So, yeah, it's tough. And on the flip side, we've been remiss to not shout out Jock Landau, who was absolutely fantastic. It's a shame he didn't get minutes earlier because I think he'd already shown some good things in round number one. So good that he got those minutes. And I think he helped extend the series. Yeah. Get that back, Jock. Yes, indeed. Yes. Yeah, he's yeah. going to get paid. He will. And all power to him. So you mentioned death taxes and injuries. Maybe we talk about uh, death taxes and the Philadelphia 76ers choking in the playoffs. 
when will I learn though? When <laughs> will I learn? Honestly, like every year you say, and I, I said this to you earlier in the week, there are so many of these little things that pop up where every year I manage to convince myself, this is the year. And you're just like, not until they prove otherwise. Yep. And once again, they look like they're in this position and you're thinking, right, they're going back for a game six at home. This is the time. And geez, I'll tell you what, I can see you've got the the magic C word written there. Coaching carousel. Sure. <laughs> both, both are applicable. Well, both are applicable. <laughs> yeah. But for the Sixers to be in a position where they were up double figures, Jason Tatum at one stage was like, what, one of 12 or something, was just a complete non-factor for about 85% of that game. Oh, it was remarkable, wasn't it? Flip switch. But the Sixers just let the Celtics stay just within... Hang around. Game. You're right. You're right. They did. They and, did. And you know what can happen with that Celtics team? They can all of a sudden start hitting threes like they're going out of fashion. And they shoot a lot of them. And Tatum goes on that little stretch where he scored like eight points in about a minute. And now he's looking beast modely and maybe there's an NBA Finals MVP on his future in the not too distant future. I know you don't want to say that, but no, look, I mean, I'm not a big fan of him at the end of the day though. I can still appreciate greatness. Oh yes. Even if he is humbly one of the greatest players in the world right now. Did you say that? Yeah. 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 Look, uh, it's yeah. Not humble. No, no. Yeah. Humble bit, is letting someone else say it. A bit ironic there, but the start of game seven was really good. Like the first half of, I watched last night, the first half of game seven was fantastic. It was looking like an all timer. And then the 76ers just shut the bed, didn't they? 28 to 3 run. James Harden only took 11 shots. So, yes, he had a couple of 40s and credit where credit's due. But when the lights were on and when the games, that's another two closeout games because obviously they had a chance to win in six. So, that's another two closeout games where James Harden's been shit, basically. And you presented me with a very interesting stat about James Harden that was kind of doing the rounds. Yes, oh God, I have so many stats, it's not funny. And that's just, we don't have enough time to look through yeah, them all. But if you've got it on I hand. I mean, I know off the top of my head, it was zero points, zero field goals, zero free throws in the last three, four fourth quarters. quarters. That's right. Which when you compare that to the Ben Simmons last three, fourth quarters. Ben Simmons were actually better. Simmons actually scored more and did more. Marginally. Yeah. I think it was like five points or something. But... <laughs> you know, yeah. it's what it is. Look, one of those, you can understand it was a blowout, Harden made a few assists and wasn't really looking for his shot. But the game seven is inexcusable. He's got to get to the rack. He's got to get other guys involved. And and look, yeah. to be honest, not enough posting by Embiid. Too much finesse. He's a mountain. They don't like, okay, Time Lord's good, but Embiid's a bloody handful. And uh, yeah, I would have liked to have seen him play down low a little bit more. Mm. And, and speaking of that Bill Simmons podcast I listened to today. So he had a guy called Michael Lombardi on today, who's a Philadelphia media guy. And geez, I'll tell you what, you think I'm critical of the Sixers and of Embiid and all that sort of thing? Oh, I would expect he was, Philadelphia to be way more critical. Well, no, this was really interesting. He was saying that there's too many people over the years that have been making excuses for these guys. And mm -hmm. and like, so people are saying, oh, Dudney banged up. And it's like, no, his strength and conditioning is shit. He, he was running out of steam halfway through games. And he basically said what I said too, that he got what he wanted. He won his MVP and now he can ride off into the distance. Meanwhile... The Jokers had back-to-back 30-point -back triple-doubles with 70% shooting. Yeah, I saw that. Stat. And tons of assists and boards and, yeah. Look, I will say this for Embiid. And, again, I'm not trying to provide an excuse for him. He was hurt. There's no way that his knee was even close to right. But, but if you don't if you don't burn the candle in the regular season to win that MVP and you actually rest yourself like Jokic did. Oh, yeah. Look, I don't disagree with you. And, look, as much as I love Joel Embiid, 
he's got to really start thinking about how to maximize the whole season and not just the regular season. So yeah, it's a shame. Would have loved to have seen Miami versus Philadelphia. See Jimmy Butler play his yes, own team. That would have been amazing. That would have been juicy. That would have been real juicy. But instead... oh, I reckon he would have beaten them too. Mm. But yeah. And yeah, shout out to Mark Jackson who left Nikola Jokic off his top five MVP ballot. Do you hear about that? I I believe I know you don't, but I really want to believe that it was an honest mistake. And I don't I, I know it's like how the fuck do you make that mistake? I've done a bit more research. So apparently he voted for him for MVP last season. Hmm. So it's not a hate thing. No, 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 no. I think but it just... the, the, it's a negligence in the mistake. How can you make that mistake? It's like, pro- that's shit out. He's probably running around like an idiot trying to get ready to go on the road for game one of the Western Conference or whenever they No, they had, to get their vote. they had to get their ballots in before the season finished. Yeah, but he would have been commentating every night. Yeah, well, I don't know. It's not his first rodeo. I, I, I don't I have a lot of excuses for him. And I think... He should be feeling like a real goose. But he'll probably get a coaching gig. Should we talk about the coaching carousel? Yeah, Jesus. The three winningest coaches of the last three seasons have all been sacked. Well, I mean, this is the crazy thing about it. If you look at the NBA Coach of the Year awards for the last, God, how many years? It doesn't read particularly well. So let's just quickly run back through the last, I think it's seven years from memory. So not including Mike Brown this season, because obviously the the Kings will give him a a bit of a pass. Very deserving winner too. Previous season, Monty Williams, sack. Tom Thibodeau, mm. no guarantee he's going to keep his job. Maybe. Nick Nurse, sacked. sacked. Budenholzer, sacked. sacked. Dwayne Casey, sacked. Oh, uh, well, he went up to the front office. But yeah, still involved with the team. No, well, no, no sacked no, from no, Toronto, sacked, though. Yeah, yeah, in, in Detroit. Sorry, yeah, you're right. Yeah, he yep. got sacked not long after that. And so basically you've got, I mean, obviously you can go back a little bit further. Dan Tony from Houston got sacked. Steve Kerr still got his job. But then, yeah, going back to 2014-15 where Budenholzer won it again, and that was with Atlanta, he then obviously changed. But And prior to that was Pop, who's now going to coach for another 10 years because he got... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And George Carl, not, not long before that as well. Oh, also got... out to each other. I love so George Carl. There's a lot of these top-level coaches. And this is where you look at it and you go, it's such a business. It is championship or bust for so many teams, for the Milwaukee Bucks. For the Phoenix Suns. You know, now, Milwaukee, Milwaukee, you have to think that had they not won that championship, he's probably sacked in that offseason. Potentially. And and with Monty Williams, you have to think that it's new owner syndrome once again. He wants his own. And look, I, to be honest, I can understand that. If you if you bought into an organization, I can understand why you would want your own people. He might have a different philosophy. I mean, I, I like Monty Williams a lot, and I think he'll be fine. I think he'll land on his feet. He may even be the next coach of the Spurs after Pop leaves, for example. Who knows? He might come home there. But I understand that one, even though it's a bit rough, given the record. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just interesting when you look at his head coach. Like, I'm talking about Bodenholzer here, for example. If you go back and you look at his last... So, he had 58 wins this season, 51 the previous season, 46 and 26 in a shortened season in 2020-21, 56 and 17 the previous year, 60 and 22. So he's had at least a 62% winning percentage in all five of his years in Milwaukee, including one up nearly towards 77. I mean, he's... Yeah, oh yeah, no doubt. No, no. Some good stuff. Now, okay. And he's a championship winning coach? Yes, he's got arguably one of the top three defenders. In fact, arguably probably three of the top 10 defenders in the league in Drew Holiday, Giannis Antetokounmpo and... And Lopez, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. One of the better shooting guards in the league in Chris Middleton... 
a pretty decent bench, I guess. Oh, it's a pretty deep team. I think they're a bit old. I think they need a bit of youth and athleticism in yeah. that team. But yeah. But at the same time, I guess uh, going back to what I was saying, this is where you really see how much of a business it is. So we shall we see. We shall see. But yeah, there's a lot of movement and there'll be, it, it's going to be interesting. The landscape is changing. Mm. Well, this is it. And I mean, we don't even want to speculate on where people are going to land or who's going to take on what. You've obviously already mentioned JJ Reddick's a pretty decent sort of chance. I mean, if you're looking along those same lines, you know, JJ Reddick's kind of Steve Kerr, Tim Legler. A guy you've mentioned, Sam Cassell, is getting a lot of love. Yep. He, he, There's a fair chance he may even step into that Philly job, for example. So. It's guys, as I say, I mean, if you look at Steve Kerr, he's done so well because, you know, he's played the game. He's been a point guard. He understands how to work with egos. And the off-court stuff too. They, exactly, yeah. yeah. Yep. And if you look at someone like JJ Redick, he's had to be on those Lob City teams with Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, and a number of other guys. And he played on five or six different teams. That's so he, he had a pretty lengthy career. Tim Legler maybe didn't have the same sort of stuff. I mean, Chris Webber, Juwan Howard. I, I guess, don't think he has sights on coaching. I think he's a very good analyst. But I think he would make a good coach yeah. if he wanted to. That's yeah. It. yeah. I mean, Sam Cassell. Sam, Sam Cassell the, is... The Minnesota teams, yep. the Boston team that he was with as well. Yep. You know, he's had to deal with egos as and well. And a championship winner as a player too yes. with Houston. So, yeah, definitely. So, let's pick these series, Joey. What do you reckon? We had game one today in the West. Maybe we'll start there. We did. And I just quickly wanted to hit you up with a crazy stat that I saw. So, a lot of people will remember the start to the season the Lakers had. Two and ten. Two and ten. At that point, they were a 0.3% of just making the playoffs. Yeah. Winning a series, just making the playoffs. Yeah, incredible. So And and they're looking good enough too, aren't they? they? They are. I mean, look, today's game was interesting. I think it's one of those ones that everyone before the game was talking about the altitude. Yep. That unless you're playing there consistently the way that the Nuggets are, it hits you. And yep. especially when you're an older team, you know, obviously the stars of these Lakers are, as I keep saying, the wrong side of 30. So it is definitely an, an issue, I guess, something to get used to. And the Lakers were very flat in the first half. I think they really acquitted themselves well in the second half. Davis showed up by the looks of things. Anthony Davis showed up. Which helps. LeBron was pretty solid in the second half. Unfortunately, had a very ill-advised three with about 40 seconds left in a three-point game. I'm screaming, as, as he's bringing the ball up, I'm screaming at my phone, take the two, get to the basket. Plenty of time, yeah, yeah. interesting. Get to the basket, yeah. take your two, because chances are Denver will score coming back the other way if you miss. Obviously, if it goes in, yeah, he's yeah, the hero, but... It is what it is. Once again, D'Lo was very disappointing. Four of 11 from the field. Was very interestingly on the court taking jumpers for about two hours after the game, I think. Okay. So certainly a long time. But again, he's got to be better. Well, they need him to be. And they need Davis to fire on all cylinders. And, and will they get enough from him? I Look, I'll pick Denver in seven. Or I did pick Denver in seven okay. before the game was played. Well, we know the result. Of we know the result. So. I, I do think the Lakers have a chance. I think they have a red hot chance, but I do think their margin for error is small. And I think that the the minutes and the fatigue may catch up with them. The thing is that Denver weren't a spectacular road team in spite of all the accolades and finishing top of the West and all that sort of thing. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Lakers held serve at home. And that's why I'll tip Denver in seven. It could go either way. Denver could also easily win in four or five. I think they're a tremendous team. The Lakers could get hot and win in five or six, but I'll pick Denver in seven. The interesting thing to come out of the second half of today's game was a really, really big switch that the Lakers made at halftime. They actually put Rui Hashimura onto Jokic. 
Yeah, you wonder if they if they thought that was gonna gonna happen, hey? Well, I mean, bit of a curveball in game one. You would kind of expect Davis to stay on it, but they allowed Davis to be a roamer behind there, and he came across a number of times and either blocked shots or deflected passes. And look, for all the criticism we've given him in the playoffs off and on, he has been very good defensively. Oh, he's been amazing. Yeah, he's very been good. absolutely amazing. Very good. And obviously, yeah, I mean, if he plays that way offensively, literally anything could happen. And we say this with every single series. I would be just as surprised with the Lakers winning in five as I would Denver winning in four yep. or seven. Anything. So, yep. yeah, with zero confidence, I will pick Denver in six. I think one of these teams will lose on their home court. I, I just I can't see the home court team winning all seven. Yeah, no, fair enough. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Hachimura one's interesting, isn't it? It reminds me of, I remember, a playoff series the Spurs had against Dallas and they moved Michael Finley onto Nowitzki. And clearly Dallas weren't expecting it. And it actually caused some grief for the Mavs. And it was actually a really masterstroke. So that's an interesting one, but they've played it in game one. So that's, there's no... And this is it. Had they got the win, it would have been worth it. Now, obviously, Denver has a couple of days to game plan against that. We will see. So over East, as I said, it looks like Tatum's now in beast mode and Boston will be playing Miami. By the way, a replay of the Bubbles conference finals. Mm, that's true. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even think about it. So that. it'd be interesting. Look, it wouldn't surprise me if teams get revenge. So obviously I've tipped Denver. I think I want to take, I'll take Boston. Oh, I'll say six. They'll win in Miami. Boston I'll, in six. I'll say five. Yeah. I think they'll hold serve in all three of their home games and I think they'll get one. I just, I don't know. I look at the way that teams have kind of figured out and been able to game plan against guys like Duncan Robinson. He's been a non-factor. Tyler Hero still in. Well, he might come back. Still in. But maybe not till the back end of the series. And and he's not going to be 100%. No, you can't think so. You're basically asking Jimmy Butler to do what he did against the Lakers. And we saw that that wasn't enough in that series. And that was as Herculean as it was. There's that famous image of him bent over on the sideline, gasping for air. Yeah, that's the one game that they got. So I honestly believe that's what's going to happen in this one. Yeah, I'm not happy about it because I don't like Boston, as I've said a number of times. I'd rather see Miami get through, but yeah, Philly should have finished them off in game six. Ah, Philly never Mm. change. All right, Stewie, you know what that music means final thoughts time. Well, mate, what more can we say? What an absolutely amazing conversation with Casey Frank. So great to talk about such a multitude of different things, obviously from his playing career to the current state of the NBL and the NZ NBL, the New Zealand Breakers, so many different great things. By the way, Stewie's Bollywood podcast will be coming out soon. I think When Harry Met Sigel is your first episode. I mean, I'd be stupid not to, wouldn't I? (laughs) But no, bloody legend in all seriousness. Uh, What a day it's been. Spurs number one pick. It's always so much fun when we have an interview. Until next time, I'm Nate. And I'm the number 12 pick. We are the Sportplex.